It's the Taking It On with Paula Price podcast with your host, Paula Price, taking on the issues, representing Jesus Christ, unapologetically truthful, taking on popular opinion, and now your host, Paula Price. I'm here again. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so excited. If I started a little bit robust, it's because I'm excited about what God is going to do today in this episode. Thank you for joining me. Now, if you haven't, go call the fam and bring everybody in so that no one misses this good stuff that we're sharing with you today. So what is the good stuff? I'm, you know, I'm a woman. I'm in ministry. I'm going to tackle the elephant in the room. Let's talk about women in ministry. It's there. We've all felt it. I've been in ministry since 1985. And I can tell you that no matter how many times we do this, hallelujah, women don't get free. You know, most of us don't realize that the larger amount of theology is for our brothers. We love them. They've done a great job. Yay. Let me give them a clap. I'm applauding right now. God bless you. We love them. And they're wonderful people. But you realize that until we handle this issue intelligently, biblically, and doctrinally, God will always be handicapped. He'll be working the kingdom with one hand tied behind his back. What hand is that? That's the female hand. You see that's back there? Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to address this. Now, I remember... I remember when I first got to Tulsa and I was out having lunch with someone who was talking about some business we were handling. And so, of course, classic Christian, classic male, bless his heart. He was, he just was wonderful. Bought my food, I think. That was good. But anyway, but he asked me, he said, so how do you justify being a woman in ministry? Well, his partner answered before I did. He said, uh, she said, I'm sure that by now she's worked that out. By now, she has the answers. And you know what, guys? I do. I have the answers. And I have the answers because I went to a meeting not long after I entered the ministry. I went to a meeting, and when I went to the meeting, of course, you know, you had the whole issue came up. And so we discussed it. And um, I remember they slapped us down. Yeah, I told y'all, I'm going to be me. So I'm going to say words like slapped us down, you know, get it, God is good, and he's a sugar. You know, I'm going to do all of that stuff. Warm up to me, because I'm going to be around a long time. So they threw out to me the favorite one that drives us all back into kitchen. And what one was that? Of course you all know, right? Right. Well, if not, I'm going to tell you. Get your Bible. I am for Jesus, and Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God. So we're not going to talk about the Logos, and we're not going to talk about the Word of God, and we're not going to talk about Jesus, then we're missing it all together. So let's go. The one they got us with was 1 Timothy 2. Hallelujah. I love it. First, 2.12. All right? Now, I'm going to start at 11 because it sounds good. 11 sounds great. Doesn't it sound great? All right. Studio audience. Yes? Okay. I got some audience here because we're going to get some joy going on up in here. And so here it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I thought that was great. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Now, here's where the code, there's a code. Everything in the Bible has a code and a cue. So here's the code. Let's break the code. Verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in the faith and charity or love and holiness and sobriety. So I go home. I mean, I'm in this meeting, and by now, I, nothing they say is going to warm me up. You know, I'm going to be real straightforward with you. So I'm in this meeting, and I am irritated. And while they're talking, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm yakking with God. I'm fussing. Now, God, I know you called me, and God, you did that, and I know, and I know. He went on, and I went on. You know, Jesus will let you go on, but he has a way of getting you back at 3 a.m. in the morning. I said, God, I ask you that at 5 p.m. over dinner. It is now 3 a.m. and I'm asleep. I don't even remember what my question was. So anyway, so I go back. He said, get your Bible and read it. See, I was called by the word of God. So I need to stay with that. Some people were called by somebody's testimony. Somebody else called by somebody's experience. Somebody else called because the song was rich. You know, people have a lot of ways that they start out. But I was called by the literal word of God and I was mandated to never leave it. And, and the reason I was mandated to never leave it is because the answers are in the Bible. You know the Bible that we're trying to throw away? I have something for you about that a little later. I'm thrilled. So anyway, so I get up, and he said, read the passage. So I got up, and I read the passage, and I said, God, I read it. He said, read it again. You know, sometimes you need to read something three or four times before your veils drop. Because we all have veils and defenses and things to protect when we approach Scripture. The number one thing we want to protect is our history with it, is our opinions and our perspectives, is our wonderful devotions old times. But I will tell you a secret about breaking the code on the Bible. And you know what that secret is? Never forget it. Read it yourself aloud. Because most people read their Bibles according to how they've heard it preached in church. So when you go back and read it without the, yay, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. When you go back and with, without that and you start reading and you're like, you missed a lot of words. There are a lot of words that clarify our discussions and our difficulties that we just skip over. You know, I love my daughter. She always said we got those skip over things. We just skip over those words because our teacher skipped over them or they just took a piece of this and a piece of that. So I went back that night and I read it. And when I read it, the third time, he said, what does it say? And I said, well, God, you watch me. It says I suffer not a woman to teach. How many times have you ever seen your preacher or whatever pick one verse out of context and never read the end of the subject? Now, the subject before this, this is going to be good. You're going to like this. I promise you, you're going to like it. Now, the subject before this has to do with how women are to behave and professing godliness and all of that kind of stuff. And clearly, they had some issues back then. Well, of course they did. They were getting women from Corinth who served the Oracle of Delphi. They were getting women from um, other deities and other religions, Apollos, Diana. You know, Diana is a nudist thing anyway. So they were getting women from that. So when they're coming into Jesus Christ, these girls are coming to church, I mean, looking like they just got off the pole. And they are, I mean, they are um, having a great time and they, everything bouncing and flashing and carrying on. And so Paul had to deal with it. That God needed you nude, but this God needs you clothed. You know, that's good. Now, you know that's good. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to slap this table. My slap call. Yes. 
So I read it. And so now coming out of all of those instructions, Paul goes on to say that, you know, now he's dealing with another issue. Husbands are complaining about their wives getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues. Prophetic is rolling. And these women are learning the word of God. They're not washing dishes. They're not cooking for supper, not cleaning house. They're not taking care of the kids. They're caught up in their merry moment, sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ and just listening to the word. And these husbands are upset. And these women are staying, uh, they're at each other's houses. They got the girlfriends over to old dark nothing. And so, you know, they're not even going to bed till late at night. So Paul has to deal with that. Okay, so is this the Holy Spirit? Is what's taking over these women? What's keeping my wife from doing her daily chores? Is that really of God? And how do we handle it? And then the women were also moving because women are more prophetic, you know, percentage-wise, proportionally speaking. So the women, I mean, God is talking to them because the church is a woman. So God is talking to them and he's chatting because he's the groom and he's got his bride coming up. And besides the fact that guys are off working, trying to feed the family. And so these women are, uh, uh, I mean, they're getting words, they're getting revelation. Husband come home. I don't want to do Bible. I want my dinner. I want to watch whatever my, my entertainment is. I don't want to do Bible. And these women are loaded with revelation. And I mean, they're telling them uh, the Holy Ghost is talking, etc. Now, remember, this is an era when women were not educated unless they were wealthy. Well, probably most of society back then. So all of a sudden, they're stunned because God is breaking the rules. He is breaking the rules because he's breaking barriers. And when you're going to get Jesus in your life, he's going to break barriers. That's just how he is. So God's breaking the rules. And what is he doing? He's talking to the wives. And he's talking to the women. And that's not heard of except in those other pagan religions. So because remember, they, they, their template is coming from Judaism. So they come home and they, they obviously they can't wait for Paul to come. Paul, you don't understand. This girl don't wash a dish. We can't get her to make the bed. I mean, she won't sweep. And I don't even know what this thing she puts on my plate is every night. All she does is talk about Bible, talk about the word, talk about the Holy Spirit, talking about what she got. And why are they getting all of this stuff? And do I have to listen to her? Well, now he's in an era of chauvinism. And it's kind of like the third world countries of today. I know we think the Bible is outdated, don't you? And then I just told you we got third world countries today that have these same issues with women. So Paul writes this letter. Now, why am I saying wives? Because when I get to the end of this discussion, you're going to understand how we kind of missed it a little bit. So Paul says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. But to be in silence. Now, remember, this is a translation. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Well, what does Adam being formed first got to do with it? Because the, 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 the command for Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil came before Eve came out of his being. So Adam was a single man. Him and God. He just is him and God in this garden. Now, we, we always miss that. I'll come back to that in another show. We always miss that. So Adam is a single man, and it's him and God. You know, he talked with them in the cool of the day. Adam was around while God embodied all of the creatures. You know, he made them on it by the Spirit, but now he's coming down, and he's personally hand-making the bodies of everything that he created. 
So Adam is, when he writes, man, Adam was, people think, well, oh, poor Adam, he was just a little boo-boo, a little baby, he did not know that bad old devil. He did not know that tree had a bad old devil. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He knew it well enough to let his wife eat first. That's how well he knew. So Paul, all these years later, comes around and he says, because the commandment, the origination and initiation of commandment came to Adam when Adam was single. So when the serpent psyched Eve out, when he said Eve is deceived, um, we like to hear that, wow, man, that devil really, that snake got that girl. Woo, I mean, he just woo, tricked her. Well, let's get real. First of all, they were at that tree a lot. That serpent had a lot to tell them. But you know what? You'll have to get my book before the garden. God's eternal continuum to understand what this is all about. So here comes Eve. The serpent said, did God really say? Well, yeah, he said it. He said we can't eat and we can't touch. Well, she got hearsay command. Hers was secondhand. Adam just said don't, don't eat. Didn't say anything about touching. They could have played with that fruit all day long, stung it on a wall, played squash. It wouldn't have mattered. Nothing wouldn't have happened until Adam ate. As a matter of fact, because when God said that Adam was not deceived, he's saying Adam got the command when he and God were tight. They were, I mean, they were partners. They were everything. And nobody was on the planet but God and Adam. Because Eve was still in him until he finished creating all of those animals and told Adam to name them. See, the Bible's fun if you just open up and read it instead of start listening, having those flashbacks to what your preacher fell over. So he says to him, okay, Adam, we've done our work together. Adam is waiting. God is bringing him body after body after body, you know, birds and, and beasts and uh, lions and fowls and carano. Adam has all of that going on. So he finally waits. And God's doing this deliberately because he wants to see if Adam recognizes himself and knows the difference between him and the animals. So finally gets to the end and God says to Adam, okay, so. You've named all the animals. And Adam said, yeah, I did, but you know what the problem is? I have nothing that looks like me. Boom, God is waiting for it. You know, many times, and this is a little bit of a sidestep, many times God will let you live out your issue until you can identify what his solution is. He has a solution before your issue came. But if you do not say the right words, you won't get your prayers answered because you and God will be on different pages. So as it happened, Adam said, well, yeah, but there's none like me. And God said, great, you got the message. I'm going to make you a helper, all of that. So now we needed that flashback to understand why Paul went all the way back to Genesis to tell us about a woman being in subjection to a man. So, I mean, I know a lot of times we always tell folks, yeah, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. Man was alone for a long time before his wife came, but that's another show. So, as it happened, we say that, and they said, but Adam was not deceived because the woman being deceived was in transgression. Now, here's where it gets good. This is where it gets really good. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. So, now I'm going to tackle the universal edict that man, all men have authority over all women. There is nothing in the Bible from Genesis to Revelations that says it. Not one. I studied it. 
And I've been at this thing a long time, so I've read it and reread it and redid it. There is no universal superiority of a man over a woman, but there is the divine edict of a husband over his wife. What? So if Paul says, I suffer not a woman to teach, now it says a woman, but the man. Because the original wording was, I suffer not the wife. The word, the, the wife. But of course, you know, the translators also had agendas. And so it took a little bit for us to get to the point that you let your wife get a job. And so, but I suffer not a woman. It, uh and the, two different articles. Uh means universally all women, but the means a particular man. So this particular man happens to be a husband. So he immediately goes into not David and Bathsheba, not David and Abigail. He immediately jumps into Adam because he subtly lets us know this is a husband and wife issue. And he did not ordain the wives just because they were being baptized with the Holy Spirit, just because they were being filled and, and, and with revelation and they were understanding God and God was talking to them and whatnot. That was no reason for the woman to vacate her place as a wife or her duties in the home. That is what God was really talking about. And so when we have that, we come down, fast forward, and now we have this whole theological mandate that women aren't to be in ministry, women aren't to teach, women aren't to preach, or any of those things. And if they do, oh, the one that I hate the most, oh, God, can I say hate on TV? I don't even know. I don't think it's a crime. I think I'm just going to say it. The one where the man you invited to speak and you and your husband go up and he taps your little head. I release you, honey. And when you get sick next month, guess what? Your husband's authority won't help. You're going to have to go to the God that called her. So that's like an exercise in futility if ever I've seen it. So then, so here we are. God doesn't want women in ministry. Well, then we had a couple of epiphanies around the Renaissance and Reformation era, and we started saying a few women can be in ministry. But they can't lead. Today, the holdup is not that, that, that women aren't allowed to. We'll let you preach. You could bring a trial sermon, a fifth Sunday sermon, or, you know, you can do an evangelistical work. You can do that. But leadership, that is the problem. Because God is making more leaders out of women than he ever has in history. And he doesn't care. So we go over. There's a second one because, you know, everything should have at least two points. I usually try to give you at least two references. So in this reference, we're over here, and they're talking about women ought to have the head covered or, and also should not be shorn because it's shameful. For the man indeed ought not to cover his head because he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Why? Because God's glory rested on Adam because Eve was still in him. So keep that in your mind. Eve was still in Adam. And so until God pulled her out of him, it was just Adam, which is why Genesis says, and he called both of them Adam, because as far as he was concerned, one is a variation of the other. So he goes on, he says, but the man uh, is not of the woman neither. And he gives us this whole long talk. I like this part because when you go down to verse 16 in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because that's where I'm going, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when you go down, it says, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. 
That's a little teeny voice. It's just, you know, right there. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. God has no custom of this differentiating between the genders at all. He has no custom of, I can't use a woman, but I can use a man. Or I, uh, he has that. If Paul talked about two women, that uh, uh, Yodia and Suntike, he talked about those two women, and he begged those men to help them because they were being, first of all, you battled by the devil. Let's, let's, let's start out. The devil doesn't want anybody to preach Jesus. I don't care who you are. He doesn't care about anybody preaching Jesus. So first of all, you're battled by the devil. You're beat up. You're robbed. And then you got the, the, the male leaders literally blackballing you because it's going against a particular theology that is not supported in Scripture. That's an old boys club thing. It's in the world and it's in the church. You know, we're still in the world. Women still try to break, crack the glass ceiling. Why? Well, we, we can get into a whole lot of reasons for why, but I want to say this. The question is, should you be married to enter the ministry? Do you need your husband's approval? Do you need your husband's um, opinion on it? Do you at all? There is nothing in Scripture that says you do. As a matter of fact, if you need your husband's approval, then your husband has taken the place of Jesus Christ in your life. He has made himself your God. Now, I've been in this thing a long time. I can't even tell you how many husbands are off the planet because God really wanted that woman. I can't even tell you. I, I mean, in my career, just my little career, where the husband is gone, and God tolerated enough, did all he could to prepare and to explain and all of those kinds of things, and uh, finally realized that the husband would not release that woman to him. And God said, behold, all souls are mine. He said, I'm the God of gods. I'm the God of all flesh. I'm the God of the spirits of all flesh. I'm the God of all creation. In other words, before that woman was yours, she was his. How do I know that? Genesis says that on the sixth day, God created man. And they went into Sabbath. So he said on the day he created them, he created them male and female. Now, So I always have this issue because women will say to me, well, you know, Dr. Price, my husband won't let me. Uh, first thing I ask is, did God call you? Because a lot of times, you just, it just seems wonderful to get out of the, the, the drudgery of being a wife for you to just jump in ministry. Somebody told y'all that was fun. Not fun. It's a battle. Are you equipped and capable? Because that's necessary. Are you really equipped? What has God called you to do? I don't know. He called me to preach. God got preachers all over the place. And preachers are like singers to God. If he doesn't get another one, he'll still get a word out and a song thumb. So there has to be an actual call. Now, I will tell you that there are husbands who so love the Lord, they would never withhold anything from him. There are other husbands who are so proud of the woman they married, they want to know that she can do more, that she can do other things. Because true husbands want to know that their spouse can take it and run with it and make something happen. They want to know that they got the best of them. They want to have the sense of this woman coming out of me. Therefore, she's got to be equal to me and busy enough for the world to see she was a good pick. I found many Christian men do not want strong women. They just can't take it because their years and years of theology has told them, keep her in the kitchen, keep her barefoot, keep her pregnant, keep her hidden, even if it means keeping her miserable. A lot of you women today, and it's not all about preaching, some of you are called to be attorneys, some of you are called to be doctors, some of you are called to be corporate leaders, thought leaders, philosophers, voices of the future. And you know what? You sit at home knowing this is what God says, and you're going to let it dry up in you. Here's what I'll tell you. I will tell you this because I've lived it. I've lived it all. You know, and, I'm, and when we talk about this another time, maybe in one of my women's groups, we can cover it again. 
But here's what I'll tell you. God says the gifts and calling, calling is singular, not plural, the way we say it, but the gifts and calling of God in Romans 11 are without repentance. It, it, there, I, I looked at the rewards, and every time I say this, folks get offended. And then I'm going to go hit another. I, 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 you know, I've been here a little bit. I'm think I'm going to slap a sacred cow. I think I got a slap cloth. I got my seat. They let me talk in this camera. I think I'm going to get me another sacred cow today. But I will tell you this. I studied the Bible I study rewards. There are no eternal rewards for good housekeeping. No eternal rewards for good parenting. None. Because God can't use that in his world. And do you know why? Because marriage is not an eternal institution. It's a temporal one. Read it yourself. That's why, you know, one of the reasons Satan closed the book, because he's like, man, these people get this truth. They're going to start being in alignment with the Holy Ghost, and then we're going to lose our, our cattle, chattel, and herd. This whole idea that family first came from God is not true. That is a false revelation that was probably a private piece of counsel that God gave an individual person, an individual person in their prayer closet, and they ran out and made it a universal doctrine. It doesn't exist in Scripture. In fact, the opposite exists. The, other one, the opposite is like God is saying, you know what? Look at Moses and, and Zipporah. God's getting ready to kill Moses because his wife has a problem with his ministry. Don't kill him. Now, as much as he put in Moses, gets into the hotel, the boy starts dying. Her husband is dying, and she's saying, I don't understand, and he's supposed to be this. You know how we do as wives. We forget we got in the way. And so God said, "Mm -mm, Moses got to get under the covenant. He cannot serve me without being under the covenant. And she had to circumcise her sons. So you can... Do all of these things you want. There, When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be celebrated because you had clean kitchen, clean dishes, a happy husband, and some well-behaved kids. God will appreciate that. He'll appreciate the kids for future ministry, but you will not get your reward on that. You can get your reward on what does not die, what does not cease to be. So anything, he that wins souls is wise. That's a good one. Now, is everybody called to preach? No, some of y'all just need to have a little Bible study in your house. Maybe that's your call. But by the same token, we need to stop picking at people who are obeying God to do the whole thing. God never, ever distinguished between male and female. As a matter of fact, that was even under, under Judaism, even that. He, understood, he, he, didn't, he never had that edict. He, did, he didn't do it. As a matter of fact, Paul said young women need to stay home if, they're not, if, if they find themselves wanting to be married more than anything else. He said, because then they're going to leave me. Because that, that happens. But do you need your husband's approval? There is nobody that God has put over his son, Jesus Christ. No one calls the shots on more, more than Jesus. Jesus is the only one. So I realize that this is, you know, early in our walk, or early in our taking it on walk, but I thank God for having the knowledge and the wisdom that I have. Because I'm going to tell you something, a lot of women are single now. You're divorced, you are, your, your, your husband has left you, you are, or, or, or you're widow, and you don't even know what happened. Understand, God has nothing above the word of him. So he said, I have nothing above my word. Nothing. Join me next week for Taking It On with Paula Price, where I talk about some more good stuff 
and some more controversial things. Don't forget, we did kill a sacred cow because God says marriage is not above ministry. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Taking It On with Paula Price podcast. If you like what you heard today, visit drpaulaaprice.com for resources and training materials for how to think differently and live powerfully. Follow Dr. Price on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Dr. Paula Price. See you next time.